All right, we had the weekend. We could sit, we could think, we could like digest Thursday night's game. Now it's Monday. Let's talk about it here on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. And check Locked On Vikings out on YouTube. Uh, YouTube is up, running. It's a video version of the podcast. You can see my ugly mug and also sometimes some football diagrams and stuff. And it's helpful if you can, if you're listening in the car or whatever. Don't worry about it, though. Today on the show, uh, we are talking about the Steelers game. Usually this would be the Wednesday episode where I do rewatch Wednesday. We talk about the film and some of the more deep football stuff. But since we have the tape all weekend, I can do this episode right now. We'll do Twitter Tuesday tomorrow. Something else bonus on Wednesday. Love a short week. We need to talk about how Thursday's game went. Obviously, 29-point lead, they almost blew it, right? Feels pretty bad. Now, I wrote an article right after the game that said, hey, that wasn't actually as bad as it felt. It felt really bad, but it's would have been pretty impressive, even for the Vikings, for them to truly blow that lead and turn that 29-point lead into, into a loss, even as far down that road as they got. Um, and I'll put a pin in that. I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But first, let's just quickly talk about, like, wins that don't feel like wins because we've had a number of them, right? We took the Panthers to overtime. We almost lost one against the Lions. We did lose one against the Lions again. Uh, there's this game and stuff. Some of these wins don't feel very convincing. And I get it. I do. I get like the kind of desire to just like throw a wet blanket on every win that isn't a blowout um, and kind of say, well, that one doesn't like really count though. Like that doesn't talk me into anything, but here's the deal. It counts. It does. Goes down as a W in the win column. That's the reality. And nobody, obviously, nobody's going to argue with that. But here's the thing. If you are, and I, and I see a lot of the same people that that want to basically count in spirit the Steelers game as a loss, will also decry the idea of moral victories um, and the idea of being close but not close enough. And I think you got to be consistent about that. Here's the thing. I don't like moral victories very much. You look at something like the Cardinals game or the Ravens game. These are two playoff contenders that the Vikings took down to the wire, right? Down to a 37-yard field goal. You probably win that game against the Cardinals conservatively nine times out of ten. And going into overtime with the Ravens could be anybody's game. So you could look at those games and say, yeah, they got close. They proved something. Those are two good teams. They proved something by going toe-to-toe with them. That probably rings really hollow with you, though, right? Like, if somebody actually went up and said, look, they went toe-to-toe with the Cardinals, they have to be a good team. You'd be like, but they didn't win. Get out of here. That's nothing. Come on. And I I feel that, for sure. I agree with that. I I think that's nothing, too. I don't love moral victories. But if you are going to decry moral victories, you can't fall victim to moral defeats. (laughs) That's really what, like, the first Lions game, the Panthers game, the Steelers game, they're moral defeats. They're wins that don't feel like wins. Morally, they feel like you lost the game. But ultimately, the Vikings did enough to win. And let me explain that a little bit more. The the, the Vikings did enough to win the game. Like, of course, because they won the game. But getting to that 29-point lead involved a lot of domination, which I will detail throughout the rest of the show. But suffice to say, for two and a half quarters, they kicked ass. They kicked a lot of ass. And you don't 
kick that much ass without compiling a little bit of cushion. And I mean, I think I said this on Friday too, but think about every single thing that went wrong in that game. Itemize it all out, right? The interceptions, um, the, the defensive breakdowns, the stupid taunting penalty, the PIs, all that stuff. I'd itemize every stupid little thing that went wrong and then understand that, that, that the lead was so great that all of that stuff could not overcome it. And that lead was earned. That lead was not fluky. It was earned by playing well and doing good stuff. And in addition to all of this, there's like the win probability angle. So let me get a little mathematical on you for a second. If you think about um, a two-point conversion as a 50-50 proposition, it's close to like 48, but whatever, right? 50-50 proposition. And then you think of overtime as a 50-50 proposition, which probably isn't exactly, but for simplicity's sake. If you need a touchdown, a two-point conversion to tie the game, you have a 25% chance to win the game after you have scored the touchdown. And the Steelers didn't get that far. Um, so if you think about it from like a win probability angle, the Vikings were in pretty strong control of that game. And now do not put it past the Vikings to give up a two and then give up overtime and all that stuff. You know, they're very susceptible to the ebbs and flows of momentum. And that's a problem with them and their leadership and all that stuff, which we've talked about plenty. But like it wasn't as close as it seemed. Um, and that, that eight point lead is closer to a two score lead than it is a one score lead, even though it is technically a one score game. And it's probably approached like play calling wise, like a one score game. But I just kind of want to have a little bit of a heart to heart. The Vikings felt like they were doing really bad there. That was closer to garbage time than it was to a comeback, like from a, an, a like a super objective analytical sense. It just didn't feel that way because we're tortured as Vikings fans and everything always comes back to hurt us the second we feel safe. But we could have felt safe in that one and the Vikings would have vindicated us. Um, but even if you don't want to grant that, even if you say, look, that was a bad game that they just happened to luck out and win. I, I would super, super argue against that it was lucky. I would think that win is very much earned. That's the title of the article that I wrote. Um, but if even if you want to say, look, they got lucky to win. Luck is the intersection of opportunity and preparation, right? They were ready for that luck. They were good enough to take advantage of that luck. So dub's a dub. Now they're at six and seven. And Washington lost over the weekend. Uh, San Francisco didn't. So the Vikings still aren't in the playoff picture, but they're right there. And they have, you know, Bears, Rams, Packers, Bears. They can go on a little bit of a run against those teams. If they can do things in the division, it's anybody's game. And I, for one, am not really going to try to get too much further ahead of myself. So let's talk about how the Vikings dominated so much, because that's the real interesting thing to me. And what happened when they fell apart? Um, and, and, you know, what, what feels more sustainable and stuff? What, what can we learn about the Vikings from this game? And I think we can learn a lot, actually. I think this is a particularly good game on tape, uh, just because we can really learn from it. There wasn't a lot of crazy fluky stuff in this one. Even the fluky stuff like the tipped interception still had like a root cause that was like rooted in the quality of the team. Even the tipped interception was kind of caused by a Steelers defender getting his hand on the ball, which to me makes it like kind of earned by the defense as a whole. So yeah, there's a lot to learn, I think, about the Vikings. And let's go in and let's learn it. So I'll explain some stuff to you and or at least some of the stuff that I noticed. And we can kind of move on from there. Before we do that, however, let's talk a little bit about how you watch TV. It can be really, really annoying to have to log into all your stuff. You're watching like HBO on one device, and then you've got live sports on the other device. You got highlights on your phone. You got all these different things. You got to log into all of them. And 
uh, you've got to activate your devices. It's like this huge headache, right? And you've like, well, whose account am I on? Do I have to go text my ex for the password? Get, get rid of all that. Get, get rid of that headache. Don't have to text your ex for any more passwords. Just do DirecTV Stream. DirecTV Stream combines all of your live and on-demand favorites in one place, so you don't have to deal with all of that headache. One button, one remote, one place for everything. It's DirecTV Stream. You've seen the commercials with like Wonder Woman playing tennis or whatever. Go to DirecTV.com to learn more about that product. That is DirecTV.com. So talking about the tape, the one thing I want to start with is a, a little discussion about drops. Um, I sort of hinted at it on Friday's episode when I initially recapped the game, but I want to go a little deeper. Drops are a weird stat because most of the places that will chart drops like Pro Football Reference or just like general statisticians at like ESPN or whatever, whatever like the official count of drops is um, like at the NFL are pretty forgiving. If you have a ball, you know, you catch it right on the numbers and it just squirts out of your hand, that's a drop. If you have to contort for it, if it's outside your frame, if you get hit while you're there, if you're blanketed by coverage um, and it's any bit of contested catch, all of those things wouldn't count as drops if it's incomplete. And so you're not going to see drops talked about the same way I've seen drops talked about with Justin Jefferson in this Steelers game. And Justin Jefferson had a lot of, I called him on Friday, failed completions where they were there, you had a chance, but you didn't haul it in. And a lot of those were just off throws. And the reason for those off throws varied a lot. Sometimes Kirk got hit. Um, sometimes there's a mechanical little hitch that I'm going to talk about in a sec that I think is messing him up right now. Um, and sometimes there was just good coverage and you just hit Kirk just kind of had to place it where he could place it and it would have been a circus catch. Um, and that's just the way it goes. It's a really, really difficult throw and catch and you're not going to get that all the time. Um, like that very, very first one, I believe it was the first drive led to the missed field goal at the very first drive of the game. There was one where the Steelers were in what's called cone coverage, where the safety is taking you over the top and the corner is taking you underneath. And if you're running like a corner route, so you're running, you know, at that angle, they'll kind of converge on you in a cone shape. That's why it's called cone coverage. Um, and they were in really good cone coverage. It was really tight coverage. There was a window there, but it was a really, really, really tight one. And it was way down the field. So Kirk Cousins would have had to thread a needle from, I don't know, what was it, like 30 yards away? Um, he got pretty close. It was like an A minus throw, I think is what I called it when I was talking about the tape. Um, it was an A minus throw. It needed to be an A plus throw and it needed to be an A plus catch. It was probably an A minus catch up catch effort. Um, it wasn't good enough in that case because the Steelers required it to be better, but it's not like anybody in that play. It's not like I'm going, wow, Kirk Cousins missed that one. How bad is he or anything? Right. It's, it was an A minus effort. It was fine. Should be good for most situations. Defense covered it well that time. We pick it up. We move on to the next play. Um, that happened a lot with Justin Jefferson. Uh, and there were a lot of situations where there was stuff that you could kind of credit to him as, oh, well, it's kind of his fault that that was incomplete. But was it his fault that it was that difficult to complete? And what's our standard there? Now, look, Justin Jefferson's one of the best in the league. And if we're going to call him one of the best in the league, we do have to have sky high expectations for him. So I'm a little comfortable kind of saying, well, he should make those circus catches. Because that's why he, you know, that that's why he's has the reputation he has. That's why he's going to get a thousand gajillion dollars when it's a, when it's time for him to get extended. That's why he's going to get a gigantic contract because he's going to make those plays. Um, and he didn't that time, and that's the failure. But also, I mean, you can kind of look. All right, why was that throw a little bit off? Well, there was pressure because you know somebody got beat. Um, a lot of that was uh, Ole Udo getting beat around the tackle. He had a fairly rough game. Um, we look forward to getting Christian Derrissaw back. 
but you know sometimes it was uh just like a timing thing sometimes he just couldn't step into the into it the way he wanted or the coverage necessitated this you know you just didn't get enough separation or whatever there were a lot of those that were a little off and the fact that it was a little off wasn't necessarily Kirk Cousins's fault but there were some that were that don't have those excuses and that's weird right like Kirk Cousins' accuracy has always been his biggest strength. His arm strength and his accuracy has have always been the thing that keep him getting paid in the league. And uh, the fact that that's not going well right now is a concern, right? Like, he's been, of all the things he's been inconsistent about, he's been consistent about that. And now it's off. And here's what I think is happening. Now, I'm no QB mechanics expert. So go ask a real quarterback's coach or a real former quarterback or something. And if they say that I'm wrong, then uh, tar and feather me. It's fine. But here's my guess. When I see Kirk Cousins throw, his stance is very open. And the way I understand throwing stances is very similar to golf. If you're a golfer, your toes, if you draw a line from your back foot, your back toe to your front toe, that line should point directly at what you are throwing at. Kirk Cousins opens it up a little bit, and his foot will actually step a little bit to the left of where he's supposed to be. So if you imagine like an open golf stance, again, if you don't play golf, you can't follow this, but like if you hit a a sand shot in golf and you have to kind of uh, open up your body a little bit where you're angling yourself to the left, you're like aiming way to the left and you open up the club face to get more sand, blah, blah, blah. Um, But basically his shoulder aims a little bit to the left of where he throws, and then his arm is trying to make up the difference for that. So his, he doesn't like have a case of the lefts. He doesn't have a, a hook like a golfer would. Um, but he has the arm strength to get away with that kind of habit because he's a good arm. But that means he's rifling things a little bit more. And that's affecting his accuracy a little bit. Um, and he can laser stuff in. That's totally fine. But that arm strength shouldn't be a way to... Uh, overcome an accuracy issue with your feet and your mechanics i just don't like the base that he throws off of he also has this stupid ball pat that he does a lot of people have complained about this he pats the ball before he throws it it's a dumb habit and yeah if you're the qb coach it's the last thing you're going to get try to get out of him when you're trying to install an offense or whatever there's way more important things to talk about but it does make him half a beat late sometimes and that half a beat late can bring a defender back into the play it can cause a sack it can cause a pressure it can cause a throw to be affected and stuff and, and that does get him in trouble you know it affects three four plays a game um, and of course, that's really, really difficult. Um, so there's, it's that's really nitpicky mechanical stuff. And like, if I were to fix one problem with the Vikings, that would probably be like my eighth choice. Like, that's not high on the list at all. I would fix the O line. I would fix, um, I would fix pressure. I would fix stuff with the play designs. I hate the way that Clint Kubiak is designing plays. Sometimes he's got so many cute things, but he just tries to out scheme himself. Sometimes I, I don't have time to get into it. Um, cause I want to still have time to, to talk about the defense, but put a pin in that because I, I, the Clint Kubiak play designs seem very basic. They seem very one layered. Um, and that is, I think easier for a defense to read. I would fix all of that stuff before I worried about Kirk Cousins' stance being a little bit open. But if you've noticed, he's missed a little bit more in the last few games. I think that's why. I can't tell you definitively because I'm not a QB expert. I'm not a coach. I didn't play quarterback or anything like that. But I think quarterbacks are supposed to set their feet differently than Kirk Cousins is right now. It's just a habit that he's picked up. 
And again, it's it's like golf or a baseball swing. If you played baseball, hopefully I'm getting enough of you. Um, it, sometimes you get a little hitch in your giddy up and you need to work it out and you need to kind of retool your mechanics so that you can start hitting things down the fairway again. I want to talk about the defense, too, and what happened on the defense, especially well, what went right and then what started going wrong with the defense. But before we get into any of that, I want to talk to you about Gramblin. I love BetOnline's new redesigned website. They are doing live bets. Here's a great one. Uh, so I told you before in these bet online bits, uh, bet against the Vikings in the second quarter, not on money line or whatever, but just on whatever the spread is, because in the second quarter, that's usually when they have their two score lead and you'll usually be, be able to get the opponent plus 14 and the Vikings have never won a game within 14 points. So, or with a more than a 14 point lead, ex- except I think the Seahawks, I forget the final score of that one. Uh, so you can always bet on that. But another one is betting on the Packers in the first quarter. The Packers, or bet against them for the first quarter. The Packers have been really, really bad in the first quarter. I just did this on Sunday Night Football, which is why it's in my mind. Um, they've been really, really bad in the first quarter, and then their spread will go way down. They were minus 11 in that Bears game. I got them at minus 2.5. Now both ended up uh, cashing. But the, the minus 11 people were sweating, and I was chilling. So... Use the live betting stuff. You can do player props. You can bet on pro college football, uh, basketball, MMA, whatever you like. Head on over to betonline.ag. Use promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You get a 50% welcome bonus. That means whatever your first deposit is, half of that will be matched and plopped right into your account as free play money. That's betonline.ag, promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, where the game starts. Also got a good stocking stuffer for you. It's Built Bar. It's best tasting protein bar on the planet. Tastes like a candy bar. You're not getting somebody like a protein bar. That'd be a really lame gift. But candy bars, great stocking stuffer. Good throwaway thing just to to plop right in there and they are absolutely delicious they've got a bunch of main series flavors like double chocolate chocolate raspberry chocolate caramel um so go check those out at built.com but it's the holiday season and that means that there's a whole bunch of other really fun flavors my favorite are their built puffs they've got like a marshmallowy kind of texture to them and they really do taste like you're eating something filled with marshmallow but it's low sugar low fat low calorie low carb and chock full of collagen protein, a a marvel of science, all covered in 100% delicious, rich chocolate. So head on over to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. Once again, thank you all for making Locked on Vikings your first listen of the day. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. So getting, obviously, Patrick Peterson, Eric Hendricks, and Anthony Barr helped a lot. I sort of predicted that after I watched the Lions game. I was like, ah, this is because Troy Dye was in the game. (laughs) Uh, And I I think I forgot to mention Blake Lynch in that episode, but Blake Lynch had some problems too. Um, They just were going a little bit too deep when they would do their robot technique, which is the way that they coach against play action. You take a couple steps forward because the run goes faster, so those two steps are more important. You have to play run first. And then you back off, you roll over and back. They were just rolling over too much. They were just going too deep. And then when they had to go back, there was too much space. So Jared Goff could hit a million things over the middle. That's what happened to the Vikings in that Lions game. Barr and Kendricks don't have that problem. Those windows were not there. It worked out really well for the Steel- against the Steelers for most of that game. And when things were going well, it wasn't a fluke to me. I mean, Steelers did get a few penalties in front of them and stuff, and they did plenty made plenty of their own mistakes to get into that hole too it takes two to tango um but here's what i noticed a ton of penetration and they had the rookie center kendrick green who i really liked in the draft by the way he's uh he was spinning in this game uh his head was on a swivel and not in a good way and that's just mike zimmer getting 
taking advantage of your young players. It's something you can always get with with a Mike Zimmer defense. We've been dealing with this for eight years with Mike Zimmer. He puts seven, eight guys up on the line of scrimmage. If you have a young quarterback or a young center or God forbid both, you're going to be confused as hell. How do you deal with that, right? You have five in protection. There are eight people all on the line of scrimmage threatening blitz. What on earth do you do? Do you slide it to the left four, to the right four? Anybody can come. Anybody can back off. That's the challenge of a Mike Zimmer defense. And against younger players, you know, against older players, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers can can figure this out, right? He's notoriously hard to fool, as Andre Patterson put it. Uh, Matt Stafford was reasonably okay with this. Um, he took a lot of hits from the Vikings, but usually that was problems on their offensive line, not necessarily unblocked, if I remember. But you go up against a young quarterback or young center like Kendrick Green, heads totally spinning. So they they just had some schematic wins here. Um, call it an out coaching. Mike Zimmer out coached. I don't know who the offensive coordinator for the Steelers is, but they out coached the Steelers, right? Um, so call it that. But also, I mean, you have really tenacious stuff. I, I liked the game DJ Wanham had. I sent out a tweet. I thought this might have been the best game of his career, which I'm, I haven't been a fan of a lot of games of his career. So that's not the highest bar, but like it's true. So that's something. And I, I do think he's like come along. He's seeing the field a little bit better. He's reacting a little bit better. Uh, DJ Wanham has the longest arms on earth. He's just this big, tall, lanky Gumby dude. And so when he can read like a tunnel screen, the Steelers ran, I think, four or five tunnel screens and didn't get a positive play on one until the final drive of the game. And two of those tunnel screens were broken up by DJ Wanham just getting his hand on the pass by being really tall. And you can only get in that position if you see it coming and you react. So I think DJ Wanham saw something on tape and went and attacked it. And that's really encouraging for a second year guy to say, oh, there it is on tape. And then being able to apply that and play quickly enough to actually make a play out of it. And then the athleticism takes over. Um, I still, you know, he's still not bulky enough, I think, to be a total starting defensive end. But the technique's getting a little bit better. Now I want to see him beat tackles more often on pass rush. That's the next step. And that step is the one that can be a bit of a barrier for guys for taking the level from being just a Steven Weatherly type to actually being a starter. Um, so good game from DJ Wanham. Xavier Woods cleaned up a lot of messes. So here's where I'll start to talk about the negative stuff. Um, but the positive stuff happened for more of the game. The coverage was phenomenal. They tested Patrick Peterson a lot, and Patrick Peterson punished that a lot. Bashad Breeland had really good technique. He got the one interception. He had a really good start to the game until he went out with whatever the illness was. Even Chris Boyd had some good plays, despite the taunting and stuff. And Cameron Dantzler, he got the interception and a really good pass breakup and stuff. So just great stuff all around from everybody. Um, and then things started to fall apart. And the what started to happen were miscommunications. And it's really hard to, to get into any detail about this because each play, it was a different mistake specifically, but you can call them all miscommunications. I'll point out one, the final score the Steelers had, they got a touchdown, they went for a two-point conversion. And they got that two-point conversion pretty easily. On that two-point conversion, Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr were the hook defenders um, in whatever the zone was, and there was a guy running a crossing route. So usually what would happen in that scenario was uh, Eric Kendricks would get into what's called trail position. So he does a man turn where he turns all the way around. His hips turn 270 degrees, basically all the way around. And uh, he does that really quickly. He's got great technique on that, right? He's Eric Kendricks. Um, and then he'll actually not hit the gas right away. He'll go into what's called trail position where he lags behind a little bit. And it makes, I think it was Deontay Johnson, look really open. And then, But he's he's holding back some speed. So if that ball is thrown, if the quarterback falls for it, he can hit the gas go all out, and then go make a play on the ball. But that only works if the quarterback can't lead 
Deontay Johnson, and that's what happened. He led Deontay Johnson. So that trail position thing only works if the there's another defender in another zone ready to pick that guy up and essentially taking away all the space that the quarterback would use to lead the receiver. Anthony Barr was supposed to be there, or Eric Hendricks was uh, relying on Anthony Barr to be there. I don't know which one of them was wrong. Um, but Eric Hendricks played in a way that relied on Anthony Barr to be there. Anthony Barr followed somebody else in man coverage and totally vacated that window. So there's this wide open window and Eric Kendricks gets punished for being in trail position because Ben Roethlisberger could just lead him all the way down. That sucks. Um, and that kind of thing happened a lot. And what I noticed ha- happening a ton was um, a similar problem with run fits where nobody took the contain. So an edge rusher would crash in really, really hard, crash inside really, really hard and go inside and shallow. Well, a running back can spin out of that or juke that guy pretty easily because you're coming in pretty hard and you're a big old lineman. You're not going to be as agile as Najee Harris. And then he can bounce the run outside and somebody needs to be there to pick that up. But very often nobody was there to pick that up and then it would be a big play and Xavier Woods would be the one running, running to chase it down. And this wasn't supposed to be his job at all. And again, each play is different, so I can't go into a lot of detail, but I can tell you there were a lot of situations where Xavier Woods was chasing down a play that was nowhere near his assignment. No, he was not supposed to be near the ball, but somebody else messed up and he was cleaning up the mess and you could see the visible frustration on him. He was like gesturing at players and he was yelling at guys. He was trying to get people on the same page. Um, and so I, I think a lot of people thought Xavier Woods had a bad game in this one. I don't think any, like a lot of that was his fault. I think he, he did have a couple bad plays, but I think a lot of that was just miscommunications on this guy or that guy, um, that then would end up becoming, I mean, Woods is the free safety he's the last line of defense. So he would have to go clean it up. Um, and then, you know, it'd be a 17 yard gain and he'd be frustrated going, what were you guys thinking? Right. Um, not to make more drama about a schism or whatever. Bad things happen. Player got frustrated. We should want that. Right. That kind of passion. Um, but I, I, I do think that Xavier Woods ended up cleaning up a lot of messes. And then because he was the nearest guy to the ball, getting the credit for that mess. And I think that's unfortunate and wrong. So I think those miscommunications are kind of what started to happen with the defense. They just weren't consistent. They played really, really well at something for the first couple of quarters and or the first, you know, 30, 40-ish minutes of the game. And then they just sort of started to get out of sync. And that's been the story is that they can't do it consistently for 60 minutes. And that's why this sort of stuff happens. One last addendum. I didn't get to it. I forgot. Uh, Ezra Cleveland. Holy Christ, did he have a game? He's kind of coming along. I think I might write an article later in the week about him. Um, maybe or maybe I'll write something else if I'm feeling it. But Ezra Cleveland, especially on combo blocks with Bradbury and Cole, I'm liking that interior. Now, I'm the last Garrett Bradbury fan, so obviously I'm going to like him. But Mason Cole at right guard has been great. And Ezra Cleveland at left guard is coming along. And I feel like if Christian Derrissaw comes back, this O-line could be a configuration that is worth potentially trying to preserve. Even if a new staff comes in and takes a look at it, you they might be starting with an O-line, which would be fairly ironic if Rick Spielman leaves at the end of the year and leaves the Vikings finally after all of this with an O-line that he got fired for taking too long to build. But uh, I like the way they played. Zimmer liked the way they played, too. He mentioned it in in a press conference after the game that he liked the way that the trenches played. So I like the way the trenches played, too, um, on both sides of the ball. I liked what we got out of Tomlinson, out of Pierce, out of Wanham, out of Sheldon Richardson, who's really found a home at edge rusher. 
And winning in the trenches is how you win games. Winning in the trenches is how you get up 29 to nothing. And then you can afford to mess up a million things and still win the game because you were up 29 to nothing. And it takes even a, a lot even for the Vikings to blow a lead like that. And they didn't. So it's a dub. Six and seven. And now we move on to Soldier Field. Uh, but we're not going to move on to Soldier Field because it's going to be Twitter Tuesday tomorrow. Twitter Tuesday is your chance to ask me stuff. Uh, ask me whatever at Lockdown Vikings on Twitter, at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter. Send me an email, lockdownvikingspodcast at gmail.com. There is also a Google form in the show notes, so you can check all of that stuff out. I will see you all tomorrow. In the meantime, check out the Locked On Bets podcast. They'll help you get your gramble straight. See y'all then, and as always, skull.